Grace and peace to you all, family. Hey, before we get started today, I'm going to read a passage. It's an odd passage from the Christian scriptures. Uh, I, I call it odd because it doesn't belong, and yet it does. Not all of the early manuscripts have this passage in them, even though many of the early church leaders attest to its truth. And we, in the Bible, we keep it in John chapter 8, at least mostly, even though sometimes it's found in other sections or perhaps even in other Gospels. But for all that confusion, it is a familiar story that reminds us of a very important point. So flip to John 8 if you haven't done so already, and I'm going to just read verses 2 through 11 to start us off. This is John 8, verses 2 through 11. I'm reading today from the New International Version's 2011 uh, translation. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Well, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Kind of a fun place to start. Let's actually open this morning with a word of prayer, if you would be so kind as to pray with me. Lord, as we uh, look into your word today, please lead us in the direction that you would have uh, us go. Teach us to walk as Jesus did so that we can be good representatives of you in a world that needs to know about your love. Thank you, Father, for all of this and everything else that you do for each and every one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I better start with an introduction. Uh, my name is Roger. I am an officer at the Salvation Army's Napa Corps. I suspect most of you already knew that. I have been married to my lovely wife and partner, Bridget, for just shy of 29 years. I bet a few of you probably knew that. I used to make a living doing mime and street performing. And I bet some of you already knew that, too. Let me share something you might not know about me. I was born and grew up in Washington State. Have you ever been there? Washington, particularly western Washington, is a beautiful place. It's the Evergreen State, you know. That, <laughs> that was some marketing guy's genius brainstorm to explain why it's always raining there. Instead of saying, it's the state where it rains every day, uh, we just say, it's the Evergreen State. And that lures tourists into coming to visit because it sounds a lot nicer that way. In spite of the rain, however, it is an outdoors kind of state. When you live there, particularly in the area around Seattle where I grew up, going out hiking and camping and the like, it's almost like a state-sponsored religious activity. Really, you would think that if you didn't spend at least one weekend a month out hiking and camping, they'd send the state police to your house to write you a kind of a laziness ticket. Sir, I understand you stayed home and watched TV this weekend, is that correct? 
I'm sorry. Well, that's a violation of the Washington Fresh Air Requirement Act of 1967. I'm going to have to ask you to come with me. But instead of taking you to jail, they'd take you out in the woods and leave you there until you could find your way home. All right, maybe, maybe it wasn't really that extreme. What I do know for sure is that when I was a kid, my family spent as much time as possible out in the woods. I remember this one time uh, when we were at some lake or other up on a mountainside. Now, this wasn't the middle of nowhere kind of campground my folks usually chose. Uh, What we were at was this little crowded KOA, um, that's uh, Campgrounds of America, a little crowded KOA where you, you pitched your tent on this square of grass that actually looked more like a golf green than a campsite. But the lake there was really cool. It was one of those big glacier-fed pools that was smooth and still, and it had that deep blue color that only icy cold water has. And it had the most amazing shoreline. Instead of sand or grass or mud or any of that, the whole side of the lake was made up of these awesome, round, flat stones just about the size of your palm. And they were heavy, but not too heavy for a ten-year-old boy to just whip out into the lake. That that boy was me, by the way. At ten, I was a champion rock skipper, at least in my own mind. And on this particular lake, I was getting between sixteen and twenty skips out of every rock easy. And there were these other kids all standing around watching, and they were trying to make their rocks skip, but they kept throwing them just straight into the water, and they'd go right in, but they wouldn't skip at all. And frankly, honestly, I was loving it because I was the bomb at this point. Everyone was watching me. But finally, this one kid came and he asked me if I could show him how to make rocks skip like I was. And I said, oh, sure. And I showed him how you have to pick just the right rock. It's got to be just the right size, not too round, not too thin. It can't be too heavy or too light. It just it has to be just right. And I showed him how to take that rock that was just right and how you have to make it spin when you throw it. Because if it's not spinning, it's not going to bounce back off the surface of the water for you. And after a little bit of practice, he was really starting to get it. And we were running back and forth all over the shore while the sun was setting, trying to see if we could find the perfect rock to just go skipping across that water forever. And that's when I saw it. Oh, it was like the angels were singing. In the red-gold light of the dying sun, it lit up like there was a spotlight focused on it, just for me to spot it. It was so round, it was so smooth, and so perfectly shaped. It was almost like God had made this rock just specifically to fit in my hand. And it was getting darker, and my arm was kind of tired. But I knew that with this perfect rock, I would be able to make the throw to end all throws, and then I could retire for the night as the undefeated skipping champion of the campground. And so I darted over to where that prize stone was perched right near the water's edge, and I bent down to grab it with this cry of victory, and I stood up with my treasure in my hand, just in time to see my new friend release a hard-thrown stone straight towards the lake. And it was an amazingly good throw. It was probably his best throw of the entire night. It sailed straight, and it sailed true. 
And if it had hit the surface of the water, it probably would have been a great set of skips, maybe even good enough to cross to the far shore of the lake. Maybe. But his hope of scoring that victory was dashed when his rock hit something on the way to the water. My head. See, somehow I'd gotten so focused on how I needed to be better than him, I hadn't realized I'd run right between him and the lake. And he had been so focused on getting the best throw in that he didn't see me until after he let go. Throwing stones is a really self-centered activity. Now, for myself and this kid, whose name I never even bothered to learn, it was uh, strictly a contest, with each of us trying to be the best by throwing every rock just a little harder than the one before, just so we could show the other guy that we had it. So let's talk about Jesus. Jesus preached about God's love and God's mercy. But he also preached about our need to repent. Now, don't, don't flip away yet. Repent is one of those church words that gets used wrong a lot. So let me tell you what I mean by that. To repent literally means to turn around or to turn back towards something. And so when Jesus said we need to repent, what he was saying is that people needed to stop focusing on walking their own path, and instead they need to turn back towards the way God has for them to go. And while Jesus was busy preaching his message of love and mercy, there was this group of people who pushed their way to the front of the crowd where he was teaching, and they thrust this woman out in front of them. She was taken in the very act of adultery, they crowed at him. The law of Moses says she must be executed. It it does, you know, actually. Um, adultery, sleeping with someone you're not married to, it's mentioned several times in the laws that God passed on to his people through Moses. And he was definitely against it. I mean, it is not the way that God built people to work and having sex with someone who was made for someone else is destructive. It's hurtful. And it stirs strong emotions that can't be fixed with a quick apology or a band-aid. So the family of God was supposed to avoid it, because part of being God's family is living out your life as a role model. It's teaching people what it means to strive to be the best by putting out the uh, the effort to be the best that you can be. And in some areas, any failure was so great, it was so destructive to so many people that an example was supposed to be made. So if an unmarried couple was found to be having sex, they were immediately and forcibly married with no option for divorce. And if married people were found straying in a similar manner, the guilty parties were supposed to be taken outside the walls of the city and stoned to death. Please don't do this now, by the way. This is part of the law of Moses. This is an Old Testament uh, uh, thing. It has, has been replaced by the new covenant in Jesus, thank God. But at the time that the people brought this woman to him, this was the law. Now, Jesus had been preaching love and mercy, and these religious leaders, they saw this opportunity to trap him here. If he said to them that they should show mercy to this adulteress that they dragged before him, then they would be able to say, oh, Jesus, he's rejecting the very words of God that sin needs to be dealt with. And if he said, oh, yes, she should be stoned, then not only would they be able to say, oh, he failed to live up to his own standards of love and mercy, but they would also be able to report him to the Roman government as an instigator, someone who was pushing for mob justice over Roman law. 
See, they thought they had Jesus trapped between two choices. But as Jesus did so often when he was confronted by two choices, two sides of an issue or two warring camps, each trying to defend some invisible line they've got drawn between them, Jesus chose option three. Three. He says to them, let the sinless one among you throw the first stone. Ah, this is an awesome answer. Because by this answer, he's met their demand for justice, and he's agreed with them that justice needs to be served. Yes, he says, she deserves the full penalty of the law. So examine your life, and if you don't have a similar penalty hanging over your head, go ahead and serve her up. If no one has the right to throw a rock at you, you can go ahead and throw that rock at her. You know, we're often told that wisdom comes with age. I, I have no idea if that's true or not. But what I do know is that the longer I live, the more aware I am of my own shortcomings. The more that I go on, the more that I'm aware of the hurts I've inflicted on those around me, and the more I can see myself and my own choices in the things that other people choose to do. The scriptures tell us that the oldest of the accusers are the first ones to slip away kind of made their way out to the side and back of the crowd, let their rocks fall, and, and wandered off. One by one, person after person made their way back through that crowd while Jesus was scribbling in the dirt with his finger, and that woman was standing silently in her shame. One by one, the crowd melted into growing shadows until finally it was just the two of them left. And Jesus stood up, and he caught her eye, and he said, Where are your accusers? Hasn't anyone condemned you? What happened to all those people who are so anxious to throw stones? Man. Throwing stones is such a self-centered activity. It's so easy to do. You don't even need a rock for it. All you need is to keep your eyes fixed on your own greatness, and the flaws of the world around you will become obvious. Hey, that guy just cut in line. Black. I can't believe that you would say that to me. Black. How dare she take that piece of cake? Thwack! Who elected this idiot? Thwack! So your mind is a sling. It whirls around and around. It's loaded with stones that you are just aching to release. He talked down to me. She dissed me. That was mine. It's your fault that I did what I did. Those are all stones. We carry them all with us. We all want to unload them on the people around us. We love to treat the world as if it was filled with enemies that we need to strike down. We fire off stones of blame as if we can prove ourselves sinless by saying that others are at fault or that their faults are somehow greater than our own so ours don't matter. It's embarrassing. But it's nothing new. Way back in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit that God warned them not to, some of the very first stones got thrown. Uh, God asked, did you eat from the tree I told you not to? And immediately Adam threw two stones of blame as hard as he could. It was the woman's fault. Thwack. And you, God, gave her to me. Ugh. Imagine throwing a rock at God. That's what Adam did. And then the creator turns to Eve, and she had her stone out to fly right away. It was the serpent! We're so sure that if we can throw stones at others, no one will look at us. But Jesus is looking. 
Even while he was writing in the dirt, he was looking at those people in that crowd, wasn't he? Hey, if you've never sinned, you can throw that stone. But you have. We all have, haven't we? Jesus looked at her and he said, where are your accusers? He looked right at that woman they had brought before him. Has no one condemned you? No, Lord, she said. Well then, neither do I. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why not? Doesn't he have the right? Wasn't she guilty? Well, yes, she was. But that's not what Jesus was here for. In fact, he had already spelled out exactly why he was here in a conversation with a man called Nicodemus, a Jewish leader who'd come to him in the dark of night months before this confrontation. And this is what Jesus had told him. Jesus said to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. I, I bet you've heard that, haven't you? Yeah. But you know what? That's the only the beginning of what Jesus had to say. He went on from there. He said, For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. See, Jesus wasn't here to throw stones. He was here to teach us not to. And as I've thought about what I wanted to say today, I found myself all too aware of how often I want to throw stones. How often I try to distract from my own failings by pointing out those of others. How often I, I want to take that hard, cold chunk of anger or bitterness that I feel and just hurl it back at those that I think are responsible for it. How often I want to take my hurts and pack them down into that perfectly round, smooth, well-weighted stone that I can send spinning off through the darkness to inflict the pain or embarrassment that I feel on those that I think deserve it more. But when I pause and think, let those without sin cast the first stone, I have to acknowledge I'm not one of them. I've caused the same kind of hurts. I've caused the same anger, the same bitterness. I have given others the same cause to blame me that I want to believe I have to blame them. So I think I'm going to try something new. When I find myself holding a stone, when I've got my arm cocked back and I'm ready to throw, I think instead I'm going to just try putting it down. And I hope that's something you're willing to try, too. Even if it's just for this week. Give it a try. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for making stones that we can use to skip across the water in celebration of the life and creation that you have given each of us. And thank you, Lord, for putting all of these other people into our lives so that we can throw those joyful stones together. But please, Lord, help us learn to be careful of what kind of stones we pick up and where we choose to throw them. Remind us all that any stone we want to throw at another is one that very well could be pointed right back at us. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus to teach us that we can put our stones down and live in mercy rather than condemnation. In the name of that same Jesus, we pray. Amen. Remember, wherever you go, God is already there, so you have nothing to fear. Grace and peace to you all.